0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Remain standing, if you would, as we hear from Genesis 43 and 44.
1: Good morning, my name is Arabella Hubbard and today's readings will be from uh, Genesis 43 and 44. Uh, And when I finish, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and if you will please respond with thanks be to God. Now the famine was severe in the land and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to those questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we, w- we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. And now from Genesis 44. um, The brothers go back to buy more food, taking Benjamin with them. And as they're returning to Jacob, Joseph's men follow them and catch up with them and demand to see what's in their packs. And they find Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's pack. And Judah said to Joseph, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go on up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: morning. How are we doing? Anybody going to watch the Super Bowl today? No? Not many of you? Okay. We got a we got a, a big piece a big chunk of scripture to go through today. So go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter forty three. We're gonna really do a flyover of those two chapters. I'm gonna it's a lot of narrative, and it all really started last week. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. Um, I'm gonna try and make it so you're not lost. But um, last week is when this story really got going, where these These brothers, um, the sons of Jacob, ten of them, ten of the twelve, they go to Egypt to buy grain because um, a little bit more backstory. uh, There's this huge famine that's taking place, and and the Lord has has sent Joseph ahead of the brothers um, into Egypt and um, and given him this exalted him to this place where he's actually acting as the savior of the world um, by, by storing up grain during seven years of plenty um, before these seven years of famine. So, so the brothers have gone to Egypt once, they've come back, and now they're running out of food, and, uh, and they've got to go back and get more, and that's where we picked it up this morning. Um, and... Um, What we learned last week is that God is really using Joseph, and and the brothers don't know that it's their brother Joseph yet. Uh, They still think he's just this Egyptian official, but the Lord is really using Joseph to open up these guys, their hearts, expose their their guilt, their sin um, that's there, and he's doing this very lovingly and intentionally to bring about a transformation in their lives. Last week, uh, Luke did a great job talking to us about the, the concept of, of good guilt. There's a good, healthy kind of guilt that we experience for sin that drives us to the Lord for healing and forgiveness. Um, there's, there's negative guilt, negative shame, but he talked about that last week. So we're picking back up. We're really building on that foundation from last week and the story. Um, so let me pray for us one more time, and then, and then I'll, I'll jump into this story. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this incredible story, for what it has to teach us. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for every single person that's here today. I trust that not one is here by accident, that you've been working and, and are working in every life in this room. And, and I trust that you have some very specific things to say to each one of us through your word. And I ask now that you would help us to be able to hear it, to receive what you have to say. Um, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the, the summary of these, these brothers is that they're, they're a pretty rotten bunch. Scoundrels. Now you took my word. Um, but they're scoundrels. And, um, and so what we've seen so far in the story, if you've been following along, is that these guys sold their brother Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Um, I mean, they, they completely ignored his pleas for mercy. They sell him for a few pieces of silver. They don't like him because Joseph is the, was the favored son. Um, Jacob has quite an issue with favoritism, and, um, and he really showed that favor to Joseph, gave him this coat of many colors, and, um, and the brothers grew envious and hated him because of it, and so they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Um, but that's not all we've, we've learned from, through Genesis, the story that Reuben, the oldest son, um, had slept with his father's concubine. We learned that the second and third sons, Simeon and Levi, had gone on a um, murderous rampage in order to get revenge for their sister. Uh, and then Judah, we, we did a few weeks ago, um, Judah wandered from his family and ended up getting really trapped in gross sexual sin. He ends up getting uh, Tamar, his uh, daughter-in-law, pregnant, and then um, doesn't realize that he's the one that got her pregnant. It's a long story if you missed it, but, uh, but then he self-righteously calls for her execution on top of it all. He was just a real mess. Um, and what we're seeing in this part of the story is that God hasn't left them where they were. That God has been at work and he's been transforming them and especially Judah. And we really saw Judah highlighted and we're going to look at Judah highlighted this morning to see how much incredible work that God has been doing. Um, it's, no one is ever too far gone for the God of the universe to do a transforming work in their lives. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know how far you feel from the Lord or what you feel like you've done, um, but you're not too far f- from God. You- you're not too far gone for the Lord to do a real work in your life, and I believe the fact that you're here this morning is even a part of that. Um, so so here, here we are. Um, they're, they're getting sent back, um, and Judah steps up and takes the lead, and that's our first scene. I want to look at that first scene of Judah stepping up and taking the lead um, when th- their father Jacob says, I- I'm not sending Benjamin with you, right? I can't, send- I can't let him go. He's my favorite now. Um, I can't let him go. And, and, you know, all of a sudden we see Judah stepping up. And it, in the first 10 verses of chapter 43, he's essentially saying We can't go without Benjamin. We're not going without Benjamin. And then let's pick it up in verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. So what we see with Judah is, is a tremendous change. Um, when we last saw Judah and he was in sin, he's sending his friend Hiram to run his errands and to cover his tracks for him. He's, he's doing everything but taking responsibility for his sin until God does this humbling work in his life. And here we see him stepping up and putting his own life on the line for the sake of his loved ones. He's stepping up and taking responsibility for a situation that it's not his fault that there's a famine. It's not his fault that they don't have food, right? But he's still stepping up and taking responsibility. And And what that reminds me of is uh, there was a book that I read years ago about manhood, and I believe this is a picture of godly masculinity. The, The definition that I most like is that godly masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. The glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And I think we can look at Jesus as the ultimate, most godly man who ever lived, and we can see this. Um, he stepped up and took responsibility for the sins of the world. And, and he didn't just do that, he gladly did that. It says, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. Jesus said, these sins aren't mine, but I will step up and take responsibility for them. Right? That is a sacrificial kind of taking of responsibility. And we see that here in Judah as a type of Christ in this story, that he is gladly stepping up and taking responsibility. Can, we can contrast that with uh, the oldest brother, Reuben, who maybe you remember in the previous chapter, there at the very end, so chapter 42, verse 37, Reuben says he gets this brilliant idea, um, and he says to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Um, but put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben does not put himself on the line, but he takes his sons, and he puts them on the line instead. He's still in self-preservation mode, right? How can I survive this and, get, and take care of business? But Judah is taking responsibility himself. He's saying, let me bear the blame forever if I don't bring him back. Um, That gets us to the end of scene two, to the end of scene one. So scene two is they they go off and they take Benjamin. And so this is verses 15 through 34. So the brothers return to Egypt with Benjamin. Of course, they bring the money with them that um, Joseph had put back in their sacks. And um, and Joseph apparently sees them coming from a ways off. He's probably on his way out the door, it seems like. And he says to his servant, bring them in and, and prepare a feast. Um, and, then, and then Joseph leaves the house. And the brothers come into Joseph's house and they're trembling, right? Um, it seems like they're trying not to poop their pants when, they, when they're standing in the house. And the reason is because if you remember... Apparently, powerful Egyptian uh, leaders had prisons in their basement, right? Potiphar had one, and it looks like Joseph has one as well. Simeon, by the way, poor Simeon, we, ha- we haven't even talked about Simeon, has just been sitting in the prison this whole time. And I think it's so interesting, right, that, that the whole family is just talking about needing to go back and get food. There's no mention of Simeon. It's, it's just like, forget Simeon, but we, we are hungry, so go get some grain, um, I don't know what poor Simeon thought. Um, but, anyways, so they're standing there. They're scared to death. They're like, we're going to be thrown in the prison, surely. And so they go up to this servant of Joseph's and they say to him, Hey, we brought back the money that was in our sacks. We just, we don't want you to think that we stole that, you know. And he says to them, verse 23 Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And Simeon praised God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm out of the prison. Everybody forgot about me. Um, so Joseph returns from his, his work, and um and they, they have this great feast, right? And Joseph's at the head And the brothers are all sitting together, and somehow he orders the brothers by their age, right? And they're probably looking at each other like, how did he do that, right? And and he sits them by their age, and Benjamin gets five times the portion that all the other brothers get. And the reason is very intentional. Joseph is setting them up. He has been, from the very beginning, he has been setting up this great big test, so it's not he's not just he's not just giving Benjamin um, more food because uh, he thinks that he because he likes Benjamin more. He's he's doing more than that, right? He's he is poking the bear. We got to remember what is the dynamic in these in the home back home. The dynamic is that Benjamin has now taken the place of Joseph as the favored son. He's the one that gets all of their dad's love and affection, right? He's the one that Jacob is like, I can't let him go because I don't want anything bad to happen to him. And Joseph, is, he is setting up a test to see if these guys have changed. He wants to know how they're going to treat their little brother. And so right now what he's doing, he's showing little brother favoritism, just like he always gets at home. Five times the amount of food. This is a big deal. We're in the middle of a famine here, right? So he's, he's, he's stirring the pot a little bit. And then he's setting them up. And that brings us to scene three. And this is the culmination of this final great test. It says in um, verses one and two of chapter 44, then he commanded the steward of his house Fill them in sack with food, as much as they can carry. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. So he, he sets Benjamin up. Right? He sends him off. and um, And the test is, the servant is going to overtake them and say... My master's cup is missing. Who's got it? Right, search the sacks. Benjamin's going to have it in his sack. And the test is when Ben Benjamin gets set up, and the servant says he's going to have to come back and be, you know, killed or put in prison or whatever. How do the brothers respond? Do the brothers do the brothers see this as an opportunity to be done? with the favorite son they've already gotten rid of one are they ready and eager to take the opportunity to get rid of the second one do they are they going to say sorry benny nice knowing you right that's the test so so this happens the servant overtakes the brothers he says somebody stole my master's silver cup They swear they don't have it. They're so confident that they say, whoever does have it should die and the rest of us will become your slaves. And I think that that actually speaks to us about the the change that's been taking place in these brothers. I think actually they they have become a lot more honest men over the years. Otherwise, I don't think they would have been quite so confident to say that. Had had these been the same guys that they were 22 years earlier, I think that... that when this happens, they would have probably said, who stole something from this guy's house? Are you kidding me? Right? But that's not how they respond. They know for sure. None of us would have done that. Nobody took anything, right? And of course, it's all a setup. So they confidently lower their sacks to the ground. Benjamin is found with it. The worst possible scenario Let's see how do they respond. Let's see if they throw Benjamin to the wolves. Genesis 44, verses 13 through 14. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's, Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. So they do not leave. They do not throw Benjamin to the wolves. They do not abandon him to Egypt. Instead, they all decide, if he suffers, we suffer. If he's going to be accused, if he's going to be imprisoned, we're going to be imprisoned. If he's going to be killed, we're going to be killed, right? They go back with him with their clothes torn. They're humbling themselves. And this is real evidence of heart change in these brothers. If they were filled with bitter jealousy like they had been 22 years before toward Joseph, then this is an easy decision, right? But they're not filled with bitterness. They all return with Benjamin. They all fall down before Joseph. And so I want to consider that they they pass the test in this regard, but there's another way in which they pass the test because... I think that there's another response they could have had other than just, see you, Benjamin. And, and this, I started to see this as I put my, myself into the story. If you, if you read the Bible, you need to put yourself into the story and ask yourself questions like, how would I respond if, if I was that character? What would I do? It, it, it's a very helpful exercise. So I'm asking myself, what would I do in their situation? And you know what I, I'm afraid I would have done? I'm afraid I would have gotten really angry that all of this was happening to us. I know myself. And I think, I mean, because I what was hitting me was they didn't steal the cup. They weren't guilty of that crime, right? And so it seems like there there is this possibility of, of like, almost like a righteous indignation rising up in them. Like, why does this keep happening to us? And they could have walked back into Joseph's house pointing a finger. Why are you out to get us? Right? Why didn't they respond that way? Isn't that mind-blowing that they didn't respond that way? They didn't respond that way at all, actually. And, and I think the, the road that they chose was humility. I think they could have chosen to respond in pride, which would have said, I don't deserve this. I can't believe that you're treating us this way. Or they could have responded in humility, which is how they respond. So let's look at how they did respond. They walk into this house And they fall down on their knees before Joseph. They've torn their clothes. And suddenly Judah speaks up again. And uh, I want to look at what he says. And that brings us to the final scene. Scene four, Judah owns his guilt and trades his life for Benjamin. Benjamin verses 15 through 34. So Joseph says to them in verse 15, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? He's still playing the role of, of this Egyptian ruler. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God "...has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and, also, and he also in whose hand the cup has been found." They walk into this Egyptian's house. He's steaming, and he has the power to kill them or throw them in prison. And, and, and in this moment, Judas steps up, and what does he say? He says, "...how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants." God has found out what guilt? They didn't steal the cup. God has found out what guilt? Judah is confessing that God has found out the guilt of these ten brothers from 22 years ago when they sold their own flesh and blood into slavery for a few pieces of silver. 22 years ago, they mistreated their brother, they hated him, they let jealousy and bitter envy rise up in their hearts, they threw him in a pit, they listened to his cries, and they sat there, and they ate and drank, and they paid no attention to him. And then they sold him for a profit. They sent him into a life of slavery in a foreign and pagan land in exchange for silver and now what do they see as the just consequence for their sin? It appears that they will spend the rest of their lives as slaves in that same land. You see it? They said, Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and, also, and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Judah is saying, you know, yeah, we didn't do what... I mean, he's not saying this. He's thinking this part. Yeah, we didn't do the thing that we were accused of, but we are sinners before the Lord. And may the Lord of all the earth do what is right. There, he's saying we are receiving the just consequences for our sin from 22 years ago. Time did not cover their sin. That's an important lesson for us. Time does not cover sin. We may forget it. We may push it down. We may hide it. We may act like it didn't happen. But that doesn't mean that God forgets it. Time does not for- cover sin. There is only one thing that covers sin, brothers and sisters, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Judah had learned a very valuable lesson from his previous wandering into sin and it's a very it's a it's a lesson that we too can learn from the story. And that is this, God loves us enough to discipline us. God loves us enough to discipline us. And when I say discipline, what I really mean is train us, shape us, mold us. When I say discipline, don't let your mind think punish. That's not what I mean. It's not that he loves us enough to punish us. No, no, no. When I say discipline, think of um, a drill sergeant shaping soldiers, or think of um, a trainer preparing an athlete for the Olympics. That is the kind of discipline I'm talking about, that the Bible is talking about, that, that God disciplines us to to shape us to get us ready for what he has in store for us. Judah had learned this lesson. He had wandered far far from the Lord that led him into the pit, a deep pit of sexual sin that he could not get himself out of. He was a slave in sin. And because Judah kept his sin hidden, He didn't repent of it. The Lord had to discipline him severely. He exposed it very publicly, and and it humbled Judah to the point that real transformation began in his heart. And it it was that moment that has led to the man that we're seeing here in the story now. Here's what Judah learned. God loves me too much to leave me in my sin. Hebrews 12 talks about this. Hebrews 12 is an incredible passage about the discipline of the Lord, the training of the Lord. Look at this. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. His discipline in our lives is evidence of his love for us. We saw that so clearly back when we looked at what happened with Judah. That God was doing something that he needed, that Judah desperately needed God to do to to bring him back. And Judah learned that very hard lesson. And I think because he learned that very hard lesson that God is a father who loves me too much to leave me in my sin. And if I don't repent of it, and if I don't turn back to him, if I don't confess it and and I don't leave it behind, he will bring circumstances into my life to make that happen. He loves me too much. And I think Judah, having learned that lesson, is, is the one who's stepping forward now in this situation and saying, yeah, we didn't steal the cup, but we sold our brother. And we cannot, we cannot fight what God is doing. He understood that God was producing something in them, that God was working somehow. I believe Hebrews 12 goes on in verses 10 and 11 say, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. There is good that comes from all of our pain if you are a christian if you are a son or daughter of god then every trial in your life is meant to bring about something beautiful every hardship that you face is meant to bring about holiness because the father knows that's what we need most and so we're instructed not to regard it lightly when we're disciplined or to be weary when we're reproved by him. He knows that it's hard. He knows that we're weak. And so it's so important that we understand this because I think it changes how we respond when he is shaping us, when he is training us, we, we begin to see the things that we go through in life through a different lens. We can, we can actually cooperate with what he's doing rather than kick against the goads. We can humble ourselves and not think that we don't need it. Right? And so we see Judah and the brothers following his lead Responding with this kind of humble contrition. And let's pick back up in the story in verses 17 and 18, chapter 44. So. Judah. Tells Joseph that they'll all be his slaves. And Joseph says, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found, shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. And Judah says to him, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you're like Pharaoh himself. Joseph's still not done with the test. He's going to give him another chance. He's going to say, no, 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 I only want Benjamin. He's the one who stole the cup. He's the one I want. Right? And... What follows here in verses 17 or 18 through the end of this chapter is an amazing appeal, a wise and humble appeal by Judah. He's appealing to Joseph's compassion. He's telling him this this whole story over. He's telling him about their their old father who's already lost one child, and this, this one, Benjamin, is is the only other son born from that wife and he's telling them how much their father loves Benjamin how his life is wrapped up in the life of Benjamin it's so interesting that as he talks about this you hear no hint of bitterness in his voice and it's so he you can just imagine how easily he could have said yeah unbelievably he 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 just he loves him so much He doesn't doesn't have that tone. He says he loves this, this son so much. There's so much forgiveness and release that's taken place, I believe, in Judah's heart. Where there was once a bitter jealousy toward Joseph because of their father's favoritism, now there is none. He goes on to explain that if he doesn't bring Benjamin back to their father, he's afraid it will kill him. Let's read the last part of this appeal from Judah, verses 31 through 34. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, talking about Jacob, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore... That, therefore, is there for a reason, pointing us back to what he just said. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Incredibly, Judah offers himself in place of his brother the brother who is favored by their father, the brother that he could have easily hated out of jealousy as he once hated Joseph. And what he is essentially saying here is, I told my father I would bear the blame forever if I didn't bring him back. So here's how that plays out now. I will stay here as a slave forever so that he can go free. I'll take his place. So because of Judah's brave and humble leadership, these brothers pass Joseph's test, and they receive an incredible mercy, and we're going to look at that in full next week. Um, These brothers, and Judah in particular, are genuinely changed men. You see that? So how had God, God done that? God did that. That's how how this story is written. It's to show us God does this. This wasn't just time. They didn't just mature because they were older. They didn't just change because of happenstance. God had worked in their lives. How had he done it? He had used Joseph to discipline them, to train them, to Expose the sin that was in them, to humble them over it, to cause them to see their desperate need. Right? But that wasn't the first place that it it had happened. For Judah, when when he got Tamar pregnant, God had uncovered his hidden sin and humbled him unbelievably. But it wasn't out of cruelty that he'd done this. It was out of love, like any good father. He was mercifully disciplining him to bring Judah back to himself. He was working to transform him and ultimately to redeem him. And so here, in this situation, Judah knows how to respond. He's been through this, and he leads his brothers. As I wrap this up, I want to point out that Joseph and Judah are both types of Christ. And, and, and if we look at each one of them, we're going to see two ways that we can respond to this story. First, Joseph as a type of Christ. Joseph, like Joseph, Jesus wisely disciplines us to help us to see our sin and our need for him. Out of love, he trains us, he disciplines us to humble us so that we can receive his mercy and forgiveness. Joseph is a type of Christ in this story in the way that he is disciplining these brothers. Our Lord uses all of the difficulties in our lives, both big and small, to train us for godliness. Everything that comes our way is measured to produce what he wants to produce in us. And when we begin to see it that way, we can learn to receive his loving discipline rather than to kick against the goads. One of my favorite quotes on this is from the the old preacher Charles Spurgeon, a man who suffered a great deal in his ministry and in his life. And he said this, it would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. What Charles Spurgeon is saying is that every affliction that we face is perfectly measured by a loving Savior to produce eternal fruit in our lives. We go through this life like that. And after this life is over, we will have eternity with him. But this life is a test filled with many, many tests. And not one of those tests, not one hardship, not one difficult day is unintentional or without purpose. There is purpose in all our pain purpose in all our suffering. And that steals our spines so that we can go through it. In Hebrews chapter 12, I encourage you to look at that on your own. The response that the writer of Hebrews gives, he says, after he talks about the discipline of the Lord, he says, therefore, here's in response, therefore, lift your drooping hands. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Keep marching on toward Christ. Don't hang your head. Don't respond with bitterness. But respond with humility and run to him. So Joseph is a type of Christ in that way, and we need to respond rightly. And Judah is a type of Christ. Just as Judah offered himself in Benjamin's place, Jesus offers himself in our place. Rather than letting us take the punishment that we deserve, Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. Like Judah, Jesus stepped forward and said to the Father, I will take the blame for their guilt. I will die in order that they may live. So how do we respond to this? Well, I think we respond in two ways. One, when we see, if we see circumstances in our life now or in the days ahead, that it appears that God is shaping us, training us, molding us, humbling us, bringing us back to him, then don't regard it lightly. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him he loves you. He is doing it out of love. So humble yourself, run to him, and and he will pour out mercy upon you. Do you understand why that mercy is available to you? Do you understand why so much mercy is available to every one of us? It's because our big brother Jesus offered himself in our place so that we could be forgiven and set free. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, it is not easy when we face trials of various kinds to cooperate with what you're doing in our lives, but I pray, oh God, that we would be a people who could, like Judah, kneel before you and say, How can we clear ourselves? But God, we thank you that we do not have to clear ourselves, that there was one, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who stepped up and said, I will take responsibility for the sins that they have committed. I will go to the cross in their place. I will take their sins upon myself. I will die the death they deserve in order that they might live the life that I deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us on the cross. I pray that every person in this room would accept it by faith, would receive it, and would follow you the rest of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.